Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I want to welcome you to worship those who are here and those who are joining us online. My name is Fair Petsky, and I serve with our students here at Woodlawn, and I'm super excited and honored for the opportunity to preach here this morning. Last week, Cameron talked about the seven miracles of Jesus found in the book of John. And she talked about how all of these miracles, all seven miracles, led to belief, and belief was often accompanied by healing and resurrection. She talked about the very purpose of the book of John, which is found in John 20, verses 30 through 31, which says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Can you just imagine for a second, if every single miracle, if every single thing that Jesus did was recorded in the Bible, imagine how big that Bible would be. Like, could we even carry it around? But John goes on to say this, but these are written, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One of the major themes in the book of John is the idea of believing. And so you're going to see that throughout the text we read this morning. You saw it last week with Cameron. Belief is something that John really emphasizes. And so this morning I'm praying that your belief in Jesus will cause you to behold him and to see all of his goodness and glory all around us. This past June, I took our students to Summer Revive. Revive, yeah, you can tell they really like it. Revive is a camp in Andalusia, Alabama at a place called Blue Lake. And students get to do a lot of things. They get to, of course, spend time in the word. They get to worship. Um, They get to have Bible study. They get to spend time with their youth group, which is their favorite part, I'm sure. Um, But they also get to swim in the lake and in the pool. They get to cheer on their favorite color team, pick from a variety of electives. And at night, they get to go to this thing called canteen. And canteen is where students get to sing karaoke at the top of their lungs. It's a, it's a favorite for sure. And they get to pick from a wide variety of camp snacks. So of course, they have, you know, your typical candy and Cokes. And they also have grilled cheese and nachos and grilled Reese's. Okay, this is next level. All right, so y'all listen up, okay? I think some of the people in the 9 o'clock service are going to go home and make this. I'm sure you are too. So you take two pieces of bread. You put a Reese's cup in the middle of it. You cook it. And voila, grilled Reese's. Try it at home. Let Let me know what you think. It's so good. Um, So this year at Revive, the theme was Behold. And Behold is a rather abstract concept. And I wondered if our students would really come to understand what it means to behold Jesus. And I really wondered if I would even understand what it really looks like to behold. But after attending camp, I've realized that the idea of behold is all around us. Pastor Joe actually used the word behold the very Sunday that we got home from Revive. But I've also seen it in my academic work. I've heard it in in music. Um, It's all around us because the truth is, is that we were created to behold. And each of us beholds someone or something. To behold means to see or to observe something or someone as remarkable or impressive. But the question remains, Who or what are we beholding? A few years ago, I went to my first ever NBA game. The Boston Celtics were playing the Atlanta Hawks in Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, before I get into the story, I want to tell you that the very first time I came to Woodlawn and interviewed here at this church, one of our students was wearing a Celtics sweatshirt, and I knew the Lord was calling me to this place. Okay, that was the confirmation. So... 
Here I am at the Celtics game, my first ever NBA game. I'd been cheering on the Celtics since about 2007, and this is many years later. I finally make it to my first game. Life is amazing, okay? Um, I had just gotten out of college, so of course I was super poor. So we sat in the very, you know, the nosebleeds at the very top where you felt like you were going to fall off your seat. But here we are. We're at the game. Life is great. I'm wearing my Celtics socks, my Celtics jersey number 11 for Kyrie Irving, and my Celtics hat. Here I am at the game. The guy that I was with had the great idea of saying, hey, we should move seats. Like we should move down to be, you know, the stadium wasn't filled, we should move down seats. And I was like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. Like that seems scary. You know, we could go to prison. I don't know, but maybe I shouldn't try this since I just graduated college. And he was like, no, it'll be fine. Let's do it. And I was like, well, twist my arm. We are at a Celtics game. We might as well do it. So here we go. We move seats and we are now literally five seats behind the Celtics bench. I mean, I feel like I'm in the game. Like, I'm like, coach, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Let's make this a win. And so here we are. I mean, I can hear Brad Stevens coaching. I can't understand everything he's saying, but I feel like I'm in the game. And so I realized at halftime that the Celtics players were going to go into the locker room right where we were sitting. So this is about to be the best day of my life. So I realized that if I dangle my body over the side of this railing, I will get a high five. So they might even sign my shirt or my hat, my elbow, whatever it takes. I'm here and I'm ready for it. So halftime happens and the first player to walk into the locker room is Jason Tatum. Well, at this point, Tatum was not a superstar, so this was not a huge deal. It is now, but here I was, he gave me a high five, life is great. And then... Jalen Brown comes through, Al Horford, Aaron Baines, all these players. But the last player to walk through is Kyrie Irving. Now, at this point, Kyrie was, was my guy, okay? So Kyrie had played for the Cavs before coming to the Celtics. When he was with the Cavs, the Cavs beat the Celtics. I mean, he was an incredible player. So here he is with the Celtics. I'm wearing his jersey. My arm is like dangling off the side. I have very small hands, by the way. I get made fun of often. But I made my hand as big as it could possibly be so he could not possibly miss my hand. And here I am screaming his name. And he walks right by. And it was like, what? How did you not see me? I was right there. I was screaming your name in your face. My fingers were inches from your nose. How could you not see me? But he just walked by. Now, the Celtics did go on to win the 15th straight game, and they were the number one team in the East. So that does count. But I left that game feeling a little bit disappointed. I mean, here I was. I mean, here I was inches from my favorite player. I'd move seats. I mean, here I am in all my glory right here, right next to this guy. And he doesn't even acknowledge my presence. Here's the thing. I was beholding someone I was never created to behold. And when we behold people or things that we aren't created to behold, we're often left feeling disappointed. But also... And in, in beholding people we aren't created to behold or beholding things we aren't created to behold, we often compromise our integrity. So me moving seats to $1,000 seats in which I paid $10 is probably not the right thing to do, right? That's compromising your integrity. So when we behold things we aren't created to behold, we do things that we wouldn't normally do. And in the book of John, John gives us a clear picture into who we're called to behold. John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is quick to point out that it's Jesus we're called to behold. And he gives us a picture of how we behold Jesus. So if you would, take your copy of God's word and turn with me to John chapter one, beginning in verse one. John chapter one, beginning in verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. A little background here. John is the author of the book of John, and he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles here. And the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, really talk about the events of Jesus. But John takes a different turn, and he really focuses on explaining the purpose behind these events. That's really what Cameron did last week. And so the first thing we learn after looking at this text is that to behold Jesus, we must first recognize who he is. John says, in the beginning, in the beginning, this is a direct tie to Genesis. So John is connecting Jesus with creation, claiming that Jesus existed before creation. If you look at Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if we were to dissect the sentence, we would first see that God is the subject. God is the prime mover and he does what he creates. So there's no hint of the creation of God. He was there in the beginning. And likewise, when you look at John chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning was the word. So Jesus existed before creation. Second, we recognize that Jesus is God. It says the word was God. Jesus is the same character and quality of God. So whatever can be said about God can also be said about Jesus. Now, it's quite tempting for us to look at the Old Testament and to see this very angry, vengeful God who's all about justice and righteousness, and then to look at the New Testament and to see this very kind man named Jesus. But John is quick to point out here is that this is the same God. Jesus is not a lesser God. Jesus is not a mini God, but Jesus is in fact God. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this when talking about Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we recognize that Jesus is God. Third, we recognize that Jesus created all things. Verse three says, through him, all things were made. John could have been very vague and said, yeah, Jesus created all this. And this is a very vague term. What does this really mean? But John is specific and says, Jesus created all things, which is pointing to all the individual things that Jesus created. Fourth, we recognize that Jesus came to give us life. 
to reconcile us with God, changing both our present condition and our future destination. Jesus came to call people from death to life to a living and vibrant relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. John goes on even further to say that Jesus brought life to the spiritually dead and light to the spiritually darkened. And the good news of the gospel is that you no longer have to wonder in the dark. You no longer have to wonder in the despair of sin. But you can walk in the light that Jesus offers us. Romans 5, 8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus didn't wait for us to get it together. He didn't wait for us to decide to pursue a relationship with him. He didn't wait for us to come to church. But while we were still sinners, while we were spiritually alienated, while we were dead in our sins, that is the precise time that Jesus died for us. It's obvious here that Jesus is the remarkable and the impressive one, the one that we are called to behold. On Tuesday of this week, I'd already written this message, but on Tuesday I was running at the gym and I often, when I run, I listen to worship music. And so I was listening to um, another church's Sunday service and they sing a super old song called Our God. And I had not heard it in forever, but as soon as that drummer hit that opening note, I was like, hold on, what? Okay, I remember the song. And it says this, our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. One of the verses says, water you turned into wine, open the eyes of the blind, right? That's the book of John that Cameron talked about last week. There's no one like you, none like you. None like Jesus. Jesus truly is the remarkable and impressive one. As great as Kyrie Irving is, as great as many people are, they pale in comparison to who Jesus is, right? We can have great achievements in life and we can do amazing things. And I have no doubt that you guys all do amazing things. But Jesus truly is the most remarkable and the most impressive. That leads us to point number two. To behold Jesus, we must recognize who we are. John is quick to point out here that he is not the Messiah. He is called to be a witness to the Messiah. And the verb witness has two meanings, to see and to tell. Witness in the first place means to behold, to be present and active as an observer, to take something in, to perceive. But in the second sense, witness means to give something out. So rather than becoming aware of an event, we make others aware of that event. It means to testify. And that's exactly what John did. And John knew that he was not laboring in vain. He knew that his efforts were not, were not without, without prosper because he says this, he remembered the main goal and the main goal was so that all might believe. That's the goal. And so likewise, that's our call. And here's the news flash. I know no one's gonna be shocked. You are not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah, thank goodness. But we are called to point to the Messiah. That's our job. You know, we don't have salvific power in and of ourselves. As much as I would love to save everyone, I can't do that because I'm not the Messiah. I'm simply called to point to the one who can do that. Acts 1.8 says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Notice where the power comes from. It doesn't say that you'll receive power when you get educated. You'll receive power when you go to church enough. You receive power when you use all your gifts and talents. No. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power is found in Jesus. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. 
and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the humbling reality. God does not need you. It's true. God does not need me. Right? God is all sufficient in himself. God is all knowing, all powerful. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He doesn't need us. If God needed us, God would not be God because he would be dependent upon somebody else. But the beauty of the gospel is that God chooses us. He chooses broken people to be a part of the grand narrative that he is telling. John 3.30 sums it up perfectly by saying, he must become greater and I must become less. To behold Jesus, we recognize it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. That leads us to point three, to behold Jesus, we are called to testify about what he has done. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh. We know that the word is Jesus. And what does the word do? It becomes flesh. Well, how does the word become flesh? In a small manger in Bethlehem, the eternal son of God became a man. This is called the incarnation. This is what we celebrate every single Christmas. The word became flesh. And so we affirm that Jesus has always existed right? From John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, but we also know that there was a point in human history in which he was born as a man, the word became flesh. So we see the beautiful picture of Jesus being both 100% God and 100% man. And what did he do? It says he made his dwelling among us. This is significant because God never called us to go do all these right things to reach him. He didn't ask us to have perfect church attendance, to do all the right things, say all the right prayers, and then he'll get you. Nope, he came down to us. He made his dwelling among us. This idea of dwelling is really the idea of pitching a tent or really tabernacling. This is a familiar word from the Old Testament. And the listeners here would understand what John was talking about here. This is radical because Solomon asked a great question as he was constructing the temple, but will God really dwell on the earth. You see, the glory of God had dwelt on the earth. In the tabernacle, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that was believed to be where the presence of God was. And so God's presence did really dwell in the temple and in the tabernacle, but the glory of God departed because of Israel's disobedience. But now John is telling us that the glory of God is back. And it's no longer contained in a building or a specific place, place, but the glory of God is now back in the person of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Notice the last two words there, grace and truth. Notice which word comes first, grace and truth. It's easy for us to go to the two extremes in our culture. And to say, it's all about grace. We just got to love people. If we love people, everything will be fine. It'll all work out. It'll all be good. We got to give lots of grace. And then sometimes we go to the other extreme and say, no, it's all about the truth. You got to stick to the truth. You got to do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right person. But it's not about going to either extreme because that's not what Jesus did. The greatest love that God has showed us is by calling us out of our sin. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That would be the truth. The wages of sin is death. But, the buts in the Bible matter, by the way. But 
The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the grace. It's grace and truth. Grace is God's favor and kindness bestowed on people who don't deserve it and can't earn it. That's us. And truth is God's standard. And because God is God and we are not, God gets to pick the standard. I once heard a pastor say this, truth without grace is mean. Okay, hear that. Truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace invites us to be free so that the truth can set us free. This is what Carmen talked about when she talked about John chapter eight, two weeks ago. Grace invites us to be free so that the truth can set us free. As I think about the glory of God being revealed in both grace and truth, I can't help but think about summer of life. There's no doubt in my mind that the glory of God was evident at Blue Lake. Just a few highlights I wanna share with you this morning. The first is that um, I got to sit next to a student who decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do. That's it. It's not about the pizza. It's not about the games. It's not about having a whole lot of fun. Those are all byproducts of it. But we want to see people get saved. And so it was amazing to sit next to this girl and to hear her say, she prayed the prayer. I didn't pray it. She prayed it and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I give my life to you. So for those who have given to support Revive, for those who have prayed for our students, thank you. Because what you're doing is making a difference. And we don't always get to see the fruit of what we do, but that was one small glimpse. And man, it makes it all worth it. One student got saved. I saw another student begin to break the chains of addiction. I saw a few students choose to forgive people who had wronged them. I saw students unite together and pray for each other on their knees in a concrete gym floor. I saw students fight for freedom. I saw students break free from anxiety. I saw students confess sin to one another. And guess what? I believe that that is just scratching the surface. I know that God is not done moving and God is not done working because while we get tired, while we get weary, God is a God who never sleeps or slumbers. So he is still working. So no doubt the glory of God was revealed to us in rural Alabama at a place called Blue Lake. But the glory of God is right here in this room. The fact that you are here this morning is evidence of the glory of God. The fact that you were able to just walk in this room is evidence of the glory of God. And let's not forget the coffee and the treats that go with it, right? It's it's great. The fact that your feet hit the ground this morning and you were able to make it across 98 and make it here is evidence of the glory of God. The glory of God is all around us, but so often we miss it. As we conclude, I want us to think about two things. The first is that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. So this morning, who or what are you beholding? Because if you're beholding anyone or anything other than Jesus, you're gonna be left disappointed. I can testify to that because that's exactly what happened at the Celtics game. We weren't created to behold other people or other things. We were created to behold Jesus, the one who is remarkable and impressive. But the second builds on the first. If you are beholding Jesus, does your life reflect that to others? Do people see you as a witness 
reflecting the glory of God? Do people see you as a witness in your schools? Do people see you as a witness in your workplaces? Do people see you on 98 as a witness reflecting the glory of God? This morning, I want to invite you to come and to behold him. Maybe this is a time for the first time in your life to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you for all the days of your life, all the days of my life. If that's you, let me tell you, you got a team of people here who are ready to rejoice with you because there's no greater decision than to say yes to Jesus. And I know so many people here would testify to that. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already given your life to Christ. Maybe this is a time to rededicate your life. Maybe you've beheld many other things. Maybe you've been a witness reflecting the glory of many other things other than Jesus. But today, you want to make a decision to behold the true king. If that's you, again, we want to rejoice with you. And so the invitation is open and we invite you to respond in the way that the Lord is leading you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word, that your word is alive and active. And no matter how many times we read it, God, we know that there's always something new that we can learn. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that. I thank you for these people and their heart to come here and to serve you and to sit in your presence. And God, I know that in your presence, there is freedom and there's joy, and there's healing, and there's hope. And so, God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a new work in us, that you would open our eyes to see things that we haven't seen. Lord, if there are people or things that we're beholding other than you, God, I pray that you would convict us of that this morning, Lord, that you would help us to walk out and to walk in freedom, because, God, I know that you have so much in store for us. And so, Lord, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. So Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.